our loving Lord Jesus, you are the ones our hearts adore. But even that, it's not because of us. It's because you loved us first. And so we give you our affection and our devotion, and we pour it out at your feet as we've worshipped you today. But Lord, I just want to pray for that person who's struggling with that or maybe knows that this is the place to be and they're here out of obedience to you or they're praising you out of obedience to you and just knowing that um, it's the right thing. But there's baggage from the past or there's a problem or there's questions or there's just tough stuff happening in life that makes them say, man, Jesus, I... I'd like to feel that deeper. I'd like to have that go deeper in me, that that sense of devotion to you, that I'm all in with you. Lord, I pray that you'd help them realize that that's true just because of their actions today of worshiping you in the midst of what they're going through. And I pray that all of us would be drawn into a deeper sense of, man, I can't help myself. I've got to give all my life to Jesus. I can't, keeping the pieces is crazy. All the pieces of my life go to him. And not because of what's said, but because of what you've said in your word and what you, by the presence of your spirit here today, do in our lives. Would you do that for us, please, Jesus? That's what we ask from you today. Thank you for being here. We do love you. Amen. You may be seated. It is awesome to see you again. For those of you I didn't see last week, it's really awesome to see you again. Uh, well, i got a question for you, though, uh, as we begin. Have you ever had a big, 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 big day or even a big, big, big season of big days? Like, like when you're uh, first a believer and, you know, all of a sudden it's like, wow, you're seeing things in the world you never saw before. You see God show up in ways that I didn't know that was him. Or, or you, you see stuff in the Bible and all of a sudden the Bible's cool, Right? It's not like when you think of reading the Bible, you go, "Ah, who'd want to do that? It's like, oh, there's just so much encouragement in there. And sometimes there's some tough stuff too, but I want that too because I want to get get all in with God. And you're just excited. You got a set of new friends. You're feeling uh, uh, free and unburdened for the first time. It's not all on you. But then things ebb after a while, don't they? I mean, it's just natural for things to kind of cool off a little bit. Nobody can live in that, you know, high-octane world all the time, right? Well, here's the thing. Here's some good news. The first Christians in the first church, and they, they didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves people of the way because they didn't know they had the word Christians yet. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. So they just, for shorthand of way, the truth, and life, said, we're worshiping Jesus. He's the way. We're the people of the way, right? So they're people of the way, and there were days of excitement and then confusion and then up and down. I mean, first of all, Jesus was dead and their whole world caved in and three days later he's alive and for 40 days, they have 40 days of really big days and it's great and it's often. Then he just went up into the clouds and went, oh, he was gone. And people, it must have been kind of like, you know, why'd he do that? Thing was going so good. And somebody pipes up and says, well, 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 let's go back to Jerusalem to our room that we have there, and let's, let's gather together there just like he said to go wait in Jerusalem. Let's go do it, because he said he's coming back. Maybe it'll be tomorrow. So they go back, and they wait there, and it wasn't tomorrow. It wasn't the next day. It wasn't the next day. It wasn't a whole series of days, but they continued to, the Bible says, to devote themselves to praying together and gathering together every single day. Imagine that. <laughs> but as they did that, Something else happened. They heard all of a sudden one of the days while they were praying there, this rushing wind sound. It was just coming in. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself was coming down on them. And he came down on them. They go out into the street. And there, it was uh, Pentecost time. So there were people from all over at this celebration time in Jerusalem. And, and all these people were hearing in their own language the story of Jesus, which is the gospel. We'll see that in a minute. They're hearing the gospel and the, 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 what had happened with Jesus in their own language, even though the people saying the language didn't speak the language. I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal. It was amazing. It was huge. And then, then Peter stands up and he gives the most powerful, powerful, powerful message. Scaredy cat Peter 
gives the most powerful message 40 days after denying Jesus three times, or maybe 50, 60, a couple of months after that, he, he, he stands up and gives the most powerful message in history. Actually, Peter would want me to tell you it wasn't the most powerful message, but it was pretty good. It, it, Jesus had the most powerful message in history on the, on the mountain, he would say, but mine was pretty good. You know why? Because 3,000 people became Jesus believers that day. That was more than on any single day during Jesus' ministry here on earth. No wonder Jesus told these guys, hey, you're going to do greater things than me. And Peter says, he makes it clear, this was not like an easy-peasy kind of place to preach. This was a culture and a world that had belief police. They were telling these guys to shut up and knock it off about Jesus. It actually killed Jesus trying to kill this thing, right? And Peter says in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, it's a corrupt, perverse generation. A generation with belief police that tell people you can't believe that anymore. Does that sound familiar? And yet, 3,000 people came. And so, so you know, you, you begin to look at that and say, that's a huge day. You know, what did they do next? What happened after that? Well, here's what happened next. They went back to the room and they just settled in and they said, okay, let's just kind of chill out here, calm down and enjoy our victory. Nope, they didn't do that. They, they said, um, you know, uh, let's just sort of live on our past glory. I mean, wasn't that empty tomb cool? And somebody pops up, I didn't ever see it. I didn't get there. I was, oh, I wish you would have been there. Yeah, they said, well, you can go over right now. You can go see it. It's, it's right there down, down the street. Just go see it. Well, no, uh, uh, not today, because I'm going to the midnight showing in the Avengers movie, and I really need a nap. No, I didn't do that either. Oh, what they did, actually, was they hired a media company to change their brand. Oh, didn't do that either. What, what they actually did, because this was war. I mean, the Pharisees killed Jesus after all, so this was war. So they got a bunch of cardboard, and they painted a bunch of sayings on it. It's like, turn or burn really bad. Or, or I'm going to heaven and you're not, neener, neener. And they got on TV with really mean faces, and boy, was that effective. Yeah, right. No, they didn't do that. No, actually what they did is they got a huge huge media presence, social media presence. And then they had a couple of uh, social media influencers completely trash the reputation of the Pharisees and, and lie about them. And uh, that was it for the Pharisees. No, they didn't do that either. What did they do? That's really what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. They did some very simple things. What we're going to see is they were simple church. They, were, they didn't have this huge program and so forth and so on. And I'm not one who believes that we got to go back to the book of Acts and do every fine point of this is how they did it because they were still learning this thing. But there's some things, some basic things that every church needs to think about, every church needs to be doing that these guys were, were, uh, were doing, these, these women and men were doing and, and, and devoting themselves to. That's why we're calling this series Devoted. We're going to look at that over the next four weeks. And if, if you're um, new or you're just checking out the claims of Christ, I just want to be real clear about something. You are so welcome here, and you are, I honor you for being here, for even checking it out. You know, even if you're like your mom made you come or something, I, I honor you. Uh, and I hope you find something here that can, you know, you can, you know hey, I need to think about that, and I'll, I'll come back and, and check this out and so forth. I hope that works for you, but I'm glad you're here because today we're looking at why should we even be church, why should we even be Jesus followers, uh, Jesus believers anyway. And uh, for those of us who are Christians uh, and those of us who are, are uh, you know, these are our foremothers and fathers, then I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Acts, and, you know, anybody can do this. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts, the fifth book uh, of the New Testament, which is the last third of the Bible. And uh, it'll be on the screen. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> but I'm just going to focus in on one verse here for most of the message, at the beginning of the message. And it starts with their reaction to what happens right after the 3,000 people and right after Peter's sermon. Here it goes, verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, I just want to focus on two words today. The first one is this word devoted. 
They devoted themselves. What does that mean? Well, if you're to parse out the, the original language and so forth, the word literally means persistent obstinance. I'm not stopping. We are not stopping devoting ourselves to this. We're going to go and go and go because our lives have been so radically changed and we've realized we really need this. We don't care what happens. We're going to keep this up. And that's, that's the kind of devotion that this was. It was, it was kind of like, I'm all in with this. And it's, it's, it's all there. Now, um, you know, it, that, is, that kind of teaching or that kind of desire that God has for us to do that. Um, is, is all over the Bible, like uh, Zephaniah uh, 2. Uh, it, it talks about the Father's heart and that God longs for us to be coming after him this way. Or of Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, he says that the Philippians, or the, in there he calls them the Macedonians, he said, they gave themselves first to the Lord, which is good. Then they gave themselves to us, the Apostle Paul says. But it's always first to God, okay? That kind of devotion, first to God and total to God. That's what it is. And, and so... What I'm telling you is that in the second half of this message today, uh, in the first half, I'm going to give you the what of devotion. In the second half, I'm going to give you the why. Why should we devote ourselves? Because I know, you know, sometimes we talk a lot about the what in church. What is this and what is that? And we don't talk about why. What, what, which, what's the motivation for? What, what, why should be you? But here's, here's um, the reason that, that we need to do this and why we're talking about this being devoted is this. I've told you this before. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I, know, I do know that God has called us to some great things as a church family and as people in it and as families in it. I, he had, I, I know that he's called us to be resilient devotees to him. That life, no matter what life looks like 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, after we're gone from the planet from now, what it looks like for our kids or grandkids or whatever, but that everybody is equipped and trained to live in the joy and the hope of the gospel, no matter what that looks like. That there's this, this sort of this force that's deeper and bigger and more powerful than what's going on in here or out there or anywhere. No human being can generate it. That's what these people seem to have had in their devotion. And, and, and that's why we're going to do this. And that's why, just like they are in the midst of this difficult situation in their, 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 um, the world in which they're living in, we don't have as difficult yet at, at this point, or if we ever will, I don't know. But I do know that God wants us to be having that kind of resilience. And here's the reason why we're even talking about this. If you have, um, this is sort of a, a spoiler alert of what's coming in the second half. If you have a, an, an unself-centered, now I know the word unself is not a word, but it is now because I just invented it. Unself-centered gratitude to God, it kind of picks you up and sweeps you along. It's like, I cannot believe, for example, you saved me from my sin. I, I didn't even know I had it. I didn't know how affected I was by it and how it was busting me up. And yet you saved me. You, you, you've cleansed me. I'm just not, I mean, I'm still you know, battling with it, but I've got you battling with me, Jesus. And you're just so grateful and it just, you know, sort of picked up to move that way. That is a, is a leading cause of, or leading a motivator for why. For people who've genuinely met God in Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, you know, what I'm telling you, though, is that this, the reason this is a big deal is that does not happen overnight. We need the Spirit of God, just like these people, we need the Spirit of God to do a deep dive into our lives for us truly to be devoted this way in the whole of our lives. Not just the pieces, but the complete whole of our lives. We need the Holy Spirit to do this deep dive, and that doesn't happen overnight. And the other fact of the matter is, the Holy Spirit is God. God made us in our own image. Don't you hate it when somebody just comes to your door and knocks once and busts their way in? You know? I mean, you know, your kid's coming home, it's different, but I mean, yeah, hope you don't do that. Hey, go back out there and knock. No, you don't know that. But I mean, the Holy Spirit <clears throat> does, isn't rude. He doesn't just bust in and invade your personal space. So it has to do with whether or not we're devoted, whether or not we're inviting him. He's inviting us whether we invite him back, right? That's what this is. And, and the reason that's important is because it's possible, because that doesn't happen overnight, it's possible to sort of look devoted on the outside, to sing all the songs, to do all the stuff, to have my rear end in church on Sunday morning or, or wherever else or whatever, and not really be all in with him. 
That's possible. Uh, cases in point. You've probably heard about this in the news. The last uh, month, there have been two fairly famous Christians that have come out on social media saying, no, nope, I'm not anymore, I'm done. The first one, <clears throat> actually it was the second one in terms of chronology, it was a guy named Marty Sampson, uh, used to sing with the old Christian group uh, Delirious, remember them? And he's a worship leader most recently and a songwriter for Hillsong. Uh, I don't know if it was Hillsong United, but the, the older Hillsong, uh, he, was, he was there. And he actually didn't actually say, okay, I'm done with faith. It's just I'm really struggling with my faith right, right now for all these reasons, and in, in my view, kind of disingenuous reasons, because they were all kind of like, are you kidding me? You don't see that? But anyway. Um, but at the end, and then he later kind of made a retraction. He said, I'm not, I haven't lost my faith. I'm just saying I'm struggling, which he... Just be careful what you put on the internet, anyway, on social media. But the other guy was Josh Harris, who's a megachurch pastor, but back, the, what got, how he got his start was he's a mega author. He wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye in the late 90s. I mean, our kids were hearing about it, uh, and, uh, you know, he had these conventions of high schoolers and these, these big uh, conferences of, of uh, you know, college uh, students and so forth and so on. I kissed dating goodbye and what he said was, you know, you'd never go on dates anymore. You just go out with your youth group and stuff and together that way and, and you know, careful, don't hold hands yet. And I was like, guys, oh, that's weird. And then he said, you know, don't, don't kiss the woman you're going to marry until, until you're married to her. And I go, boy, that, I cannot go with that one. But anyway, so <clears throat> I hope I'm not tearing anybody's thinking apart. But, um, but, the, but he came out this last month, I said, I'm, not, I'm done. I'm not a Christian anymore. Divorced his wife a year ago. I've married a new woman. I've never been happier. It feels good. It just feels good. They always say that. It feels good. You know? So does jumping off a cliff. But I mean, he, he, he said, I, um, I'm just done. I'm over it. And then he started apologizing for all the stuff he'd taught, all the stuff that's in the Jesus teaching. He started to say it was wrong and it was, it was bigoted and it was hurtful and I'm sorry. Man. Wouldn't want to be here, that guy in the end. Now, I'm not saying a person can actually lose their faith. Okay, my theology says you can't, so just be clear on that. But we're not going into that right now. There's something else going on here. But the reality is, is that there's just this, this sense of, to a lot of Christians, as you read that, there are a lot of people, like, or, you know, to people who are secularists, it's like, see, it was funny. I mean, number one, this has always happened. It's just now we have the Internet to tell the whole world about it. But on, on the other hand, uh, no, that's it, not what, what you think it is. It, it's sort of like this. Like I said, this doesn't happen overnight. The Spirit's work in our life doesn't happen overnight. It reminded me, as soon as I heard about, about, it, about what my old 96-year-old mentor, Dr. James Houston, who's still living and still kicking around, and I get to talk to him on the phone and sometimes in person every once in a while. He, told, he said something in class. It was a class on spirituality, actually, interestingly enough, in, in seminary, which is pastor school. And, and uh, he said something about, you know, sometimes these high-profile Christians all of a sudden just, it looks like they just give it up and walk away. And they just said, I'm no longer a, a Christian. I'm no longer a Jesus, believer in Jesus. And they just walk away. And, and it all crumbles down, and people say, what happened? I mean, it looks so good from the outside. There's amazing effectiveness and for the ministry and the Lord and so forth. At that point, I would say, and this is me, not Dr. Houston, but just remember, God can speak through a donkey. Remember the story of Balaam? Okay, so I'm just saying. But anyway, that's bad. Um, but here, here's the thing. <clears throat> he said, it's like an old building, like an old barn. We don't have many of these around here because everything's so new in the Pacific Northwest. There is a, a barn out on I-84 that you drive by. It's a huge barn. Supposedly, it was 150 years ago, like 25 years ago. So like 175 years old or something, and they keep fixing it up and painting it up, and it seems to be in good shape. But that's what he was talking about. He says, you drive by and you see some barn that's just, you know, in decent shape. You go, man, that's an old barn, but it's just going to go on forever. And then somebody just bumps it with a tractor, or somebody, a big gust of wind comes along, and all of a sudden the whole thing comes down like toothpicks. He says, Lots of, that's what happens a lot in, in, for people who are like that. You know, I'm Christian, no, I'm not. I'm Christian, no, I'm not. It's the insides. There's something happening in there. There's, there's dry rot or termites or something that's making the whole thing come down. And that's why it's so important to continue to grow and to have the Spirit change your life by being totally devoted like what we're seeing here. That's why we're talking about it. 
Because you don't have the resilience without the total devotion. You don't have the changed life without the total devotion. And that's the, 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 the reality of, of what was happening for these people because they'd been so stunned by what Jesus had done in their life. It was like, I can't help but give my whole life. And so what were they devoted to? Four things, but we're only going to go through the first one today. And the first one is, is the, second, the second word I want to focus on, and that's the word teaching. The apostles' teaching. Okay, so what is, what is the apostles' teaching? Well, the technical word for that is apostolic teaching. And in, in scholarly circles, who, you know, uh, people who study the New Testament and so forth, this apostolic teaching is different than just ordinary teaching. <clears throat> okay? There's an authoritative uh, thing to it. There's an authoritative nature to this apostolic teaching. And in this case, it's the 12 apostles. It's a unique situation. It's the 12 apostles who... Um, had been with Jesus, and Jesus had downloaded his teaching into them. Remember Jesus, in, at the end of Matthew uh, 28, he give, he's, he's is about ready to be uh, uh, ascending into heaven, and, and he, he tells the disciples, okay, you guys, you, you apostles, I have <clears throat> given you all authority, my authority on this earth, to teach and make disciples. Remember that? And that, that's what this is. So 33 times in the New Testament, the word didache uh, refers to teaching, but only a handful of times does it refer to the, the apostles' teaching. Okay, that's, that, that's an important thing. That's a significant thing uh, to remember. Because here, here's the thing. I'm not saying that, you know, there's not a gift of apostleship or whatever in terms of the spiritual gifts, if, if that's where your mind's going right now. I'm just saying that in this case, we don't really like authority or we pretend we don't uh, in this culture and in this world today. Uh, but, <clears throat> but authority is something that we cannot live without. I mean, I don't want you driving out there if you don't have some authority on your, you know, how you're driving, Right? At least not when I'm coming. Uh, and, and, uh, and the same is true in life. But you got to have authority. And, and it's, it, that the truth of that is belied by people who say, I don't have an authority. But who, who's, who's speaking into their life and how are they running their life? Social media, celebrities, you know, little person from this particular sitcom or that particular show. Somehow, oh, man, they've been on the big screen. They must really know. Right? And so everybody, that's what we do now. And it's, it's like, I'm not calling these people dumb, I'm just saying. Okay, it's just, it's just weird. But the reality is, we need that kind of teaching to live our lives and to live the, the, the devoted life to, to, to Jesus. Because that's why he gave it to us. That's why he downloaded it to us. You see, <clears throat> there's a lot of confusion about what this apostolic teaching is. And, and there's a lot of confusion about who in the church, for example, can speak and who can do what and who can do this and so on. And, and it, a lot of it has to do with not understanding that this apostolic teaching was what these guys did. It's not even what I'm doing right now. In fact, I haven't polled them, but I, the guys that were preaching this summer, I'll bet you they wouldn't say that they were the apostles either. If any of them would, you should see me after the service because we need to talk about that. But the reality is, is, is this isn't that. But here's the thing. We have the second, last third of the Bible. They all wrote it down. You see, that's why it's significant for these people. They didn't, first of all, they didn't have the authority. They, all they had was they had the apostles sitting there, and then they had the Old Testament, which the Old Testament's vital for what's happening in the New Testament. We'll get to that a little later but, uh, in this series. But the reality is, is that, that all they had was the teaching of the apostles. Yeah, Jesus told us to say this, and, Jesus, and that had the authority of this, this we will do. This is what we'll devote ourselves to. But, but, you know, that's all they had. It, it had the cross, the, the resurrection, uh, the, the miracles hadn't been written down yet. This is all they had. And besides that, a lot of the people uh, who were there couldn't even read and write anyway. They hadn't been educated. Particularly women, for example, weren't even allowed to be educated. Many of them could write and read anyway because they were smart enough to, you know, circumvent that by teaching themselves to read. But there were a lot of people, men and women both, who couldn't read. So it was the teaching that gave them 
the understanding of who Jesus was and what he was calling them to uh, in their lives. And that was, therefore, the authority over them, the authority over their lives. And that was the, that was the way um, that they learned to grow, you see. And here's why this is so important, to have this. This is why we, we have, for the last three years or so, maybe a little more, we've said, you know what, we're going against biblical illiteracy. Now, let's make it positive. We are going for biblical literacy. Read the history. Read your story because your story is in here. Read the Bible. That's why we go back and forth. It's not just because, you know, if you, if you read uh, the Bible, you'll get a piece of candy from Grandpa's, uh, from, uh, sorry, Grandpa, from Pastor Dwayne's candy jar that's in his office. And we're not saying that. That's not just because, you know, it's a good thing to do, like, you know, brushing your teeth, which that's a good thing. But this is like a, a you know, that's where we get the authority. And, and I'll tell you what, as this culture proceeds, assuming it does, more and more progressively secular, and the people of the culture become more and more of the ilk of the belief police, and they don't even know it. I'm just assuming the best of people who say, well, you can't believe that, church has got to stop believing this, stop believing that, and sooner or later, we're going to get in there and make you stop believing that. I mean, that's kind of the next step. It hasn't, not even close to that yet, but... But, you know, that, as that goes along, what we really believe, what Jesus really taught us is so, so, so important. And that's the situation that these people were in. Well, what is this apostolic teaching? What, what, what did it make up? Well, I want to tell you what it was. And then at the end, I want to give you a couple of whys, as I said. What it was, was the gospel. And you say, oh, Dwayne, now I get it. I get it. You're talking about they taught, you know, that I, we can have our sins forgiven, that Jesus died on the cross so that we can have our sins forgiven. I get it. That's the gospel, right? Well, yeah, it's an important part of it, but it's not, by a long shot, all of it. I mean, yeah, I because mean, if we think that, I mean, you start to think, did they do that like every single Sunday? Sunday? The cross, sin, sin, the cross. Do they do that every Sunday? I mean, what was the teaching, or in this case, not just Sundays, every day, because they were meeting every day, hearing the apostles' teaching. What, what, what was it they were devoting themselves to? You see, this is a big deal, because honestly, a little true pastor confession here. I've had a bee in my bonnet for a while that people, even evangelicals, slapped the word gospel on every kind of cause and every kind of movement that comes along that seems pretty good. Let me give you an example. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this is not a part of the gospel. It is, but it's one part of the gospel. People say, justice. Okay, focusing on Christians, focusing on justice, that is the gospel. No, it's not. It's part of the gospel, an important part, just like salvation is an important part. But it's not the whole thing. There's something bigger going on to this movement. And we don't just, for the, co the flavor of the year, the cause of the year, the, whatever's in, on the media, we don't just slap gospel on that. In a much kinder, gentler way, uh, there's a man by the name of Scott McKnight. He's a, a, a teacher and a, a prof back in Chicago. He uh, wrote a book called The King Jesus Gospel that Ben introduced me to a few weeks ago. And he says something very interesting about the, what the gospel is. I want to read it. It's a little bit of a push to those of us who've always assumed the gospel is just about salvation and that's it. Uh, but here, here goes. See what you think. The gospel doesn't work for spectators. You have to participate for it to work its powers. Most of us would agree with that even if we don't want to practice it. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I want, to, I want to now make a stinging accusation. In this book, I will be contending firmly that we evangelicals as a whole are not really evangelical, quote-unquote, in the sense of the apostolic gospel. So there's our word, apostolic teaching. We evangelicals mistakenly equate the word gospel with the word salvation. Nothing wrong with salvation, but watch this. Hence, we are really salvationists. When we evangelicals see the word gospel, our instinct is to think personal salvation, and we are wired this way, but these two words do not mean the same thing. You see, one of them is the whole, and one of them is a part. That's what he's saying. Why is this a big deal? Because it causes all kinds of confusion. 
And it causes us to take the word gospel and, and tie it to whatever we want to tie it to. And that's why these guys were teaching them every day to get this straight and get a bigger worldview, uh, helping everybody to kind of take that in. And, and uh, you know, there, because there are some really, really good causes that in and of themselves aren't gospel. We can come up with all kinds of them as human beings, but nobody's come up with one as big, you know, as big a cause as God in the gospel. And there's some really, really bad ones, too, that stink like smoke. I mean, people think they're promoting positive, and they're not. And, and, and so, so it's important to know the answer to this question that may sound sort of silly and redundant and elementary and, oh, I already know that, but it's not. And here it is. What is the gospel then? If, it's, if that's not all it is, then what is it? Well, I'm, I'm indebted to somebody who uh, wrote a book, uh, a pastor, a theologian, a TV personality, actually. He's done some documentaries, mostly Christian documentaries, uh, in, um, in Australia. His name's John Dixon. And uh, a while ago, uh, he wrote a book that I just ran across uh, called, uh, and I'm, I'm bogan on the name, oh, The, the Secret or the seldom told secret or something like that of the Christian's mission, okay? And in there, he delineates five points of the gospel. And, and uh, I, I'm telling you that it's him because I didn't put his name on here because I've changed his five points significantly enough that we don't do plagiarism here, but if anybody sees his book and sees it, I just don't want you to think I, I ripped it off in the book because I, I changed some stuff and I want you to know where it came from. But here it goes. The gospel is Jesus in the story of the gospel. So he's the gospel. And so when we say the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that story that's in there is the gospel, not the books. The story that's in there is the gospel. So here's the, here's the five points. Jesus' birth proclaimed the universal eternal throne of God David promised. Now, that's significant because we want God to be in control, Right? I mean, if this God's big enough to worship and give our whole lives to you, he better be in control. And secondly, it better be eternal control. And thirdly, he better keep his promises, right? Jesus' miracles showed that God's kingdom had arrived. See, that's one of the things that your eyes just kind of open up. You realize, hey, there's supernatural power afoot in this world because Jesus has been here. That's what opens up when you become a believer. It's just like, ah, oh, oh. And it, it builds that desire to devote yourself to him. Jesus' teaching invites, uh, invited us into the kingdom and told us what was expected. So he hasn't just said, hey, just like me really, really a lot. You know, like me on Twitter. Or no, you don't do that. Yeah, you do. Anyway, um, and then fourthly, here we are. This is the one we know about. Jesus' sacrificial death atoned for the sins of those who were otherwise condemned. And, you know, boy, howdy. I mean, when you realize what he's gone through for you and what he has done by lifting off the burden of sin and changing and transforming you and, and all that crud that was in there that you didn't even know was there. He did, you know, we're still battling with it, as Paul says, the flesh. But, he, but now we have him saying, okay, that we're not going to let this go any farther, right? It's just such a freeing experience. And Jesus' resurrection revealed him as God's son whom God had appointed judge of the world and the Lord of the coming kingdom. So that empty tomb is the place we live now. It's a, it's a whole different way of seeing what life really is. And when you see it that way, you start to say, well, who wouldn't want to be devoted to that? I want more of that. I want to understand more of that. And that's the kind of the obstinance and the persistence because I just want more. I understand that more. I want that in my life. Now, I'm going to give an illustration of these five points. That I, I, This is not Dixon. This is Dwayne. Okay, so in, in, uh, think of the gospel as a plane, if you will. <laughs> this is kind of Sunday school, I know. But uh, we're going for clarity here, right? Okay, so here we go. The gospel plane is like a plane. You know, the plane's got two wings that keep it afloat, but it also has two smaller wings in the back that keep it from you know, falling off the side and going the wrong way. And then it's got a big tail fin, the, the most prominent part, right? That's a plane. The five points of the gospel fit right into that. It's an eternal throne, okay? That's one of the wings. And supernatural power. God's in charge. He's in control. His ways are higher than ours. ours and it's, there's power there. It's not just, you know... <clears throat> Well, I'll try my best and do what I can. No, there's daily power, supernatural power there. So, uh, so those are two wings. And then there's, there's this life-changing teaching. That kind of guides us like those tail wings, right? Life-changing teaching and the sacrifice for, for, for sin makes it possible to follow the teaching. 
where we couldn't follow it before. Think of that. If you've been a Christian too long, like me, that can be dangerous, man. I mean, think about the fact that before that point, you couldn't even follow it. I mean, think of the struggles you have following Jesus today as a Christian. Man, it's, it's, it's transformative. And then finally, that tail wing that sticks up so everybody to see, because it kind of starts the whole thing and keeps the whole thing on track, is the empty tomb that becomes a kingdom. There's a kingdom in this world now, and like I said, we live into that. You see, this kind of clarifies some of the confusion about what the gospel is. It's much bigger and much, you know, it takes a lifetime to sort of dive in and pick up what that means. So no wonder these people were devoted to it. No wonder they longed for it. You know, I, I, I first kind of ran across the fact that the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins and we can be forgiven. That's true, but that's only one part of it, like one-fifth of it. I, I first ran across that thought and, and uh, long before um, I read McKnight's book, but it was back like four or five years ago. We were having this staff meeting. And the staff, I was saying, okay, the, the next series, how about we just call it gospel? And they go, well, I don't think that's what you're really trying to say. I said, what? What's wrong with the word gospel? And they, well, there's more to it than that. So, okay, well, how about this? How about we just call it disciple? No, that's not. How about we call it Jesus follower? No, because you can follow people on Twitter, and it's not the same. I said, well, that's for sure. But, but it's like, I, I just frustrated, honestly, with the staff, because they didn't use my words that I wanted to use. And I thought they were good words, and they are good words. But a little while later, I was sitting there praying about it, and it's like, I don't know if, I mean, God didn't speak in a voice. I can't remember if I was reading a verse or something. It suddenly dawned on me. What they were saying is that what most people think of as the gospel is too small a thing. It's bigger than that. It's so stunning. When you realize it, it's so stunning. It's like, how, who could not be attracted to that? Who could not want to dive in with their whole life to that? Because here's the thing. Remember, Jesus is the gospel. The story of Jesus and Jesus himself, the star, is the gospel. So it raises a question of why. Who couldn't want to be devoted to that? Here's one reason, that you, one question you have to ask about when you're trying to get to the whys. And it's going to sound sacrilegious. But it's, it's not. It's not meant that way. Here's the question. What is Jesus worth? What is Jesus worth to you? What is he worth to me? You see, I think a lot of the reason why we don't uh, give our all to Jesus is because we don't really believe that he's worth it. That's the only reason it possibly could be. Let me give you an illustration from the Bible. There's a, there's a Greek word in the Bible that's translated worship, but it's also translated serve. I mean, it can go either way, and it's difficult for translators. You can see this, for example, the, the, the key place you can see it is in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices on the altar to God, uh, then that is our spiritual act of worship, but other translations say it's our spiritual act of service. You know, it's like both. In other words, worship is singing and worshiping and praying and all that. That is that. But it's also doing something. It's serving him. It's being all in with him. And whatever you say, Jesus, whatever you want me to go, that's where I'm going. That's what I'm going to do. And it's, it, it draws us in in that way. You see, this is why Jesus unabashedly asks for our devotion in, in, in a set of verses uh, in the the new t in the Gospels, that, that we don't read very much because they just sound too severe for us. But he's not, I don't think he's meaning to sound, just sound severe. I think he's saying, this, I really am worth this. For example, Mark chapter 8, verse 35, look at this. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the Gospel will save it. You see, the gratitude starts to rise up. That's what he, what he wants. When he says, you will lose your life, okay? I, I'm <clears throat> for me, what that means is you kind of lose your life in Jesus. Uh, if you've ever fallen in love, you have an inkling of what this is like. I remember when I fell in love with Sharon. I, 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 I was just thinking about her all the time. I was, I was so in to her that I was just, ah, I couldn't get her out of my mind. I was thinking, and sometimes it got a little worried because I was working for this, <clears throat> this uh, 
company downtown that was made food silage for cows. <laughs> really, I did. And, and one of my jobs, I was on the swing ship, was to make sure that stuff got stirred up and it got off the edges of the tank. And in the bottom of this tank, there was this giant auger. And if you fell into that thing, it's over. Lights out, baby. So, you know. But I remember one night up there going, oh, man, I'm thinking of sharing, thinking of sharing. And then I almost slipped. Or I dropped a paddle or something. I can't remember what it was. That would have been a showstopper too. But, but I realized, wait, i got to quit thinking about her, you know. But it's that kind of devotion that Jesus is saying, and, and he'll, he'll keep you from falling in the vat. Okay, so, but, but that's what he's saying, lose yourself in me. And when you, that happens, and you realize what Jesus has saved you from, and what he's offered in its place, the kingdom life, it's like, oh, why didn't I see this before? I can't help it. I'm just so devoted to you. I, I was thinking about this one. The, the best illustration, at least in my life in ministry, that, I, that just immediately came to my mind was a, a friend of mine. I say friend. I've only seen him two or three times since this, and this was way years back when I was, uh, first became a pastor of a church, okay, a local church. And his name was Dwayne, too. And this was, this was a place, you need to understand, this was a neighborhood. It wasn't actually a neighborhood. It was out in the sticks in Canada. It was way out in the sticks. And, and this was a place that everybody went when they couldn't deal with civilization in the city, okay? So there were a lot of tough people. The men were tough, 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 but the women were tougher, I suppose, to keep them in line. And so, so Dwayne was one of these people. He was not a Christian. And I heard from his aunt who came to our church that, you know, he really needed the Lord. So I became his friend. And, and, and you know, I, just, I just liked Dwayne. Uh, he, he was a tough, tough guy. I shared the message of salvation with him once. But he said, no, nah, it's not for me. But I kept being his friend, and that was it. And then all of a sudden, he starts showing up at church. And I think it was because his aunt, because, see, the women were tougher than the men. So she made him come. And, uh, and then he came back, and he came back. And pretty soon I hear, hey, Dwayne gave his life to Jesus. He's a Christian now. I thought, you're kidding me. No. Oh, I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to believe that right off that. So um, I didn't really say much to him uh, because it was right about the time Sharon and I were leaving and we had this big um, barbecue on the church property and, and, uh, you know, I, I knew I'd get, say goodbye to him and ask him about it then. So I'm, st- I'm standing off a little bit after I've said hellos to everybody in this big crowd that's on the church property. And I stand back and I'm by myself. And Dwayne's just sitting over by the corner of the church building. And all of a sudden, he comes rushing over, throws his arms around me, this big, tough guy. I know it's hard to believe a guy named Dwayne is tough. <laughs> but now you have Dwayne the Rock Johnson and me. So, I mean, there you go. But so he comes over, throws his arms around me, and he just starts sobbing. And I, I, honestly, I, I have to tell you, I had nothing to do with his coming to Jesus, his conversion, really, that, that I could tell. And I didn't know really what this was, you know. And so I just said, uh, hey, Dwayne, um, I don't know what this is, but I know it can't have anything to do with me, really. So I'm going to assume it's just that you are so grateful to Jesus for saving you. And what the life is you have now that you just, it's just overwhelming you. And he said something like, yep, that's exactly right. But uh, shut up, because I need somebody to hide my face right now. I don't want anybody else seeing this. <laughs> and you know, the proof is in the life. He had a huge trucking company, still does as far as I know. And, and he gave uh, generously to ministries all around that area, including up in the city of, uh, of Edmonton. And it was just, it, you know, he gave and gave and gave. He, was, he became known as gener- generous, but he also became persecuted a little bit. He was made fun of by all his tough cronies out there in the, in the oil business and wherever else he was working. He uh, had some people at one point I heard uh, were ceasing to do business with him because he was a Christian and, you know, he wouldn't carouse with them and stuff like that. And, his wife, Brenda, had some of the same things, but they also had people come to him and say, you know what, I don't know what you got, but I want what you got. And to this day, they're devoted like that, and it all has to do with this powerful, powerful gratitude that just sucks you in. And it's a good way. You see, that's, I think, the devotion these people had. And just in case you need one more why, let me show you what happened when they were this way. We'll go through these verses again, so you can just kind of sit back and just soak them in. Verse 43, everyone was filled with the awe 
at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and everything, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Okay, i got to stop here. That word together is probably the biggest miracle to me because, you know, uh, most of the translations translate it together, but the New American Standard, I think, gets it right. It, it, it translates the word for together as, as of one mind, being in one mind. What does that mean? A bunch of zombies? No. It doesn't mean everybody agreed on everything, but it means when they were in a common purpose and pedal to the metal going for it. They were all moving in that same direction. And everybody's opinion counted because you never know when the Lord might be speaking through so-and-so. Them? Yeah, them. And so the, the, all of that counts, but they were of one mind in that sense, in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together in glad, sincere hearts and praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But the thing that set it off is that first line of verse 43. When they were devoted to these four things, everybody, people a part of their group, people not a part of their group, were in awe. We talked about this a little bit last year, last week, that's kind of trembly, awesome, awesomeness of God that you get close to and you can't help but be attracted, but when he pulls you and you realize there's the depth of love you've never ex could imagine experiencing either, and you just want more. And the devotion quotient, the desire to be devoted goes up. That's how it works. That's the supernatural nature of this whole thing. But I wanted to show you what I think awe looks like. And I hadn't, I, I didn't, when I, I was here when this thing happened, and I'm going to show you in a picture in a second. I was here when this happened, but it wasn't until after I got the picture and I started thinking about it that I realized what was actually happening here. This is when we went to the beach um, with uh, the, the gifted, that you guys gifted us and the mazes gave us their cabin for three days. There's some three boys that I'm fairly familiar with, right? I'm not sure about the shovel. <laughs> I don't think he's going to whack that surfer when he comes in. I, that, that's the surfer out there. You know what I think's happening? You don't really need to see their face to wonder what's happening or to know what's happening, right? They're thinking, someday, that's gonna be me. Those are my boys. <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's like that, and, and that's what awe is like. It's like, wow, huge ocean, little surfer. And that's what Jesus is like in terms of his coming to earth. Huge ocean of eternity. And we're just standing on the shore right now, but Jesus is inviting us out. Come on. I'll take you on my board. I'll show you how to ride these waves. And pretty soon you can ride them yourself. And there's just a sense of awe. In that huge ocean, yeah, we got this. I got this. You, know, you will see. That sense of awe, and it's like, yes, someday. And you hear the teaching of Jesus, and you see his miracles, and you see the wonders of what he wants to do, and you hear the love coming out of his mouth, and you read the New Testament, and God's speaking to you, and it's like, someday, I'm going to be that. And there's a sense of, oh, man, I don't know how, but I know that he can do that because he's God. I'm going to call the band out here. And I want to have one, I have one more thing to say to you before I pray. And I'm going to give you a chance to pray for 20 or 30 seconds when I do. But the thing I want to say to you is, is if you feel like there's too much, there's too much tread on the road for your life, or there's not enough, you're too young, or you feel like there's too many burdens or too much crud, there's too much stuff for you to be devoted to Jesus in this way and with your church family. First of all, we want to be there with you to kind of hold up your arms and help you see that it is possible. But I want to tell you a proverb, not a Bible proverb, but a proverb from Africa. It's an African proverb that says something like this. If you think you're too small to, be, uh, to make a difference, then you've never spent the night with a mosquito. I would say, I'll, I'll just change all of it. If you think you're too uh, burdened or, or too plain to, be, to make a difference, then you've never spent the night with a one-year-old, that guy in the end, okay? Who, by the way, is the only one that's tried this surfing thing? He got up in his trike the other day and was like this. But the reality is, is that Jesus says, hey, if you just come out here, if you just be devoted to me like that, you know what? 
I'm going to show you things you've never seen before. I'm going to show your church. Church, if you just be into me that way, all in, not just the pieces, then I'm going to do stuff you cannot imagine for you, for your family, for your grandchildren, and for people that will come after you and look back and go, wow, thank God for those people. Because you're going to see the Jesus stuff. And that's what makes you be, want to be devoted. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to us and we do thank you that you died on the cross for our sin and we celebrate that and we're going to celebrate it again. We thank you, though, that that's not all you did. You just didn't come and save us and then let us veg. But that you changed the whole world. You changed our whole lives. You put a kingdom in place. And it's growing and it's happening. And now that we think about it, we're starting to see it. And I just pray that you would open that up to every single person. And if you're here today, I don't, I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but you just want to spend, you know, 20 seconds right now without me talking. Just say something like, Lord Jesus, I want to be devoted to you that way. Help me to do that. Help me to find the people in my church family that will support me in that. Thank you that you have taught me and shown me from your word that this is possible. And then just say amen. Lord Jesus, we do love you. It sounds too small to say we just love you. But for all that you are and all our devotion and our attraction to you and everything that you're doing right now and for being here today, we just love you. And we give ourselves and our families and our church into your hands because that's the only place any of us and any of that should be. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.